Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. And now, SCORE Senior Football Analyst, Hub Arkish, on Sports Radio 670 The SCORE. That has such... And NFL films feel about it, which is fitting for our senior NFL analyst, Hub Arkish. Doesn't this sound great? Like the Sable family did something really good for you, Hub, that you've been immortalized this way? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> sounds good, yes. Yeah, sounds very good. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I want that. I, that was such a thing for me as a kid on Saturday afternoons early evening, watching that and the sound. I had no idea what all that, you know, the classical music and the, and the deep voice guy and the, and the way in the slow motion. And that was such a thing that it remains today to be such, such an important part and a bar, a, 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 the comparison, the, the gold standard for presenting any NFL, NFL news, NFL film, any telling NFL stories that to me is the gold standard from from fifty years ago. You watched this, yeah. right? Wasn't that your? Oh, yeah. I think all those things that we remember growing up and 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 you know becoming close to or falling in love with the sports or whatever it mm-hmm. was that, that became part of our life that we remember now. And and now that you know we've had kids and grandkids and tried to tell them about it. Uh, yeah, that, that's all a very important part of, of life, I think. And and the the remarkable. The, the way they did it and the way they presented it, it's still something the Shield should be proud of. So I don't know how proud they would be of last week's game between the Bears and the Cardinals. But things, every game, there are things to be learned. Maybe not move the meter, maybe not move the needle, maybe not push you one way or another. So what did you come away with against the Cardinals? What did you come away with as units or a team or a coach or a player regarding the Bears? You know, you, you continue to feel better about every game they win. I think that's where you start. Uh, but you also have to, you know, evaluate them and say, are you making progress? And I think that they, you know, once again made progress on defense, you, you know, and, and this defense is obviously pretty good right now. I think maybe we're overrating it a little bit because it's, it has improved. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, when you look at the schedule that they're playing, uh, you know, that I can – say, hey, we're ready to have a playoff defense. But the the improvement is real. There's no question about that. And I think you've got to feel good about that. Uh, offensively, um, uh, you know, we go through the same thing every week. We're, we're trying to find what's right with Justin Fields and trying to make excuses for what's wrong and, and, and blame other people. But at the end of the day, 
with only two games left, I don't think they know anything more about the quarterback situation than they did when the season started. And so, uh, you know, it's going to make the offseason interesting. Uh, and, and they could still go a lot of different ways. Um, uh, and I, I think the, you know, the, the injuries uh, at running back and, and receiver, you know, it's just it, it's hard to know where this offense is at right now. Um, and I think that the disappointing play of the offensive line last week was a concern because, you know, they haven't been completely healthy, but they weren't that banged up. And so that's an area where they still need more work. So the the idea that you brought up that the last two games assessing the quarterback, you believe that's an assessment in progress or they're just waiting till the end. They they may, whatever the, the movie is so far, they know which way this is going to end, but they're going to play it out and look at it from top to bottom the way thoughtful people should, thoughtful decision makers should. But I've had a feeling that if, if these two games would make that much of a difference, one of them being against Atlanta, I could see putting Justin Fields in Lambeau Field against the Packers. Something on the line, or it's, something's always on the line because it's the Packers, and the way they started the season was not their finest moment. I could see that being not necessarily the the deal breaker or deal maker, but I could see that weighing important. But you think these last two games really mean something in the evaluation that people at Hallis Hall, at Ryan Poles and and Kevin Warren are going through about the quarterback they have now? Well, I think that they at this point know what they have. I think they know what they're dealing with. I I don't think – the, you know, Justin Fields' talent, you know, keeps stopping you from giving up. And and I don't think you quit on the guy. I, you know, I, I think that you still have the potential to have something special there. But I think they're at the point now, you know, after three years, after what they've seen this year, they have a pretty good idea of, of what they think he's going to be and become and what they're going to do about it. But the, the assets that they have to fix it are, are still – developing, you know, whether they're going to have that number one overall pick. I think if the Panthers uh, lose tomorrow, then it's locked in that they've got the number one pick. And, you know, you hope that the Panthers lose that game. Um, and then, you know, you really start to, to, to lock it up. You know, where are you at in evaluating the, the quarterbacks that are going to be draftable? and Which ones are going to come out? Are they all going to come out? You know, so I think what they're doing now really is focusing more on the assets that they know they have and the options that they have as to how to continue to develop that quarterback position. And I do think they're going to draft a quarterback. I don't think there's any question about that. Probably in the first round, although I don't know that they're going to draft one at number one. And, uh, you know, I, I think that you, you just continually worry, am I going to move on and then find out that I was wrong? Now, you know, Steve, we've been doing this a long time, and I can think of practically no quarterbacks who you know were high first round picks, who couldn't develop early, who became you know franchise quarterbacks or difference makers later. It happens every once in a while, but it's rare. And and so you know I think they know where they're at with Justin Fields, and uh, I think that where they're focused on right now is more about the rest of the roster, about the coaching staff, uh, you know, about what changes they are going to make. And I do think those things will continue to, to grow in the next uh, two weeks. I, I think that they probably know where they're going with Matt Eberflus and, and, and 
I think it's reached the point where people should accept that he probably is going to be back and probably should be back based on what he's done this year. Um, but there are things that could go wrong in the next couple of weeks that could change that. And then Matt looks at the rest of his, his crew, you know, and what's he going to do there? You know, there's so much talk about Luke Getze, and I think a lot of that is unfair, too, because Luke Getze's biggest problem is that he's had to work, work with, you know, a, a not-developed quarterback and one who may not, you know, ever develop, and, and, and all the injuries and everything else they've had. So that's what makes these last two weeks so important. I, I think that the, the only thing that they may have a final decision on is I think they probably do know at this point what they think Justin Fields is going to be, and they, they are trying to decide what the rest they put around with him. Can that be good enough or not? So Getsy's Getsy in the blaming the player, blaming the offensive coordinator, or or if not blaming them, listing the shortcomings where they should have done each each responsibility. Then where is Getsy's responsibility in in your defense of him? Where is with with Justin Fields being more inaccurate than you could imagine? or would want from somebody who's supposed to be a franchise quarterback and being a turnover, a ball security nightmare, especially when it matters in, in the fourth quarter or clutch times. So, and your offensive coordinator hasn't developed a, that gimme play hasn't found a go-to play third and one, fourth and one that extend drives and help your quarterback that way. Then where is, is this all the players' fault in your mind? Is it all Justin Fields' fault? You you don't seem while a lot of people are piling on Luke Getze, those seem to be some of the biggest reasons why. And yet you're not one of those people. So what do you see? Those problems, those that's Justin Fields' fault, the inaccuracy or or the ball security problems? You know, the problem that we have with this, Steve, all of us, uh, especially me, is that, and I think this is really critical and nobody ever talks about it, but the reality is when we watch these games and we see what happens, we have no idea what the play call was. You know, we're trying to, you know, fire Luke Getze because he's done such a bad job. But we don't know. He may have called all the right plays, and they just haven't been run. And again, I'm not a defender of Luke Getzey. I don't want to be that either, because you know, there's no question that the offense has been disappointing, and and certainly a lot of that, if not most of that, should be on him. But I just think that that you know, we listen to all the conversation all week long, and and a lot of it is coming from fans, and fans are entitled to that, you know. But but the media bothers me a little bit more because I think the media as a group we need to treat them more objectively, not necessarily more fairly, but more objectively. And I think the the fact that we think we know what they're doing and what they're trying to do just because it doesn't work, well, that's that's not accurate. You know, it, it's, it's up to us to get as much information as we can. And, and I know for a fact, I, there, there was that moment, and everybody's talking about it now, it jumped on me right when it happened between week four and week five, when Justin told us that he thought maybe his biggest problem was the way he was being coached, you know. And, and at that moment, I knew there was a real problem because a, a young player developing you know, shouldn't think that. He shouldn't believe that. He shouldn't. And if he does, it's that, that he isn't understanding what's happening. You know, now he has improved since then. And, and I don't know what their relationship is like. It seems to be a good relationship, but there's no question that, that, that they have not been able together to grow this offense to where it should be at the end of his third year. And, and, and that's on both of them. You know, you can't put all the blame on one or the other. 
But, but you know, I keep hearing, you know, because he rushed for 1,100 yards last year, there's no question that, you know, Justin Fields is the guy and gets, he's got to get fired, this and that. That's, that's not a way to rebuild this team. And, and you know, I, I do know, uh, you know, from talking to coaches and people that, that in, in the building, there is respect for Luke Getze. And, you know, and, and I know that, that uh, Matt Eberflus respects Luke Getze. And, and that's where this decision is going to come from. So I don't know you know, what's going to happen there. But, but I think it's probably more important to decide and, and, and let it be known where you're going with Matt Eberflus and Luke Getzey than it is to worry about Justin Fields at this point. Habarkus is my guest. We're talking Bears football here on The Score. He's The Score's senior NFL analyst. Half hour from now, I will be talking with Chuck Swirsky. He is a play-by-play voice of the Bulls. They play tonight, but he's also a very close friend of Joey Meyer, uh, who died yesterday at 74, former DePaul coach, DePaul player, DePaul assistant coach, and quite a thing back when DePaul was actually a thing in the city. I'll talk to Chuck then, and then 90 minutes from now, Sean King. He was on with Bernstein and Holmes, and oh, my God, a spirited. He launched into a defense of Justin Fields that you won't want to miss. But for now, Bears, Falcons, is is this is this a game where everybody – gets right or enough or who gets right let me ask it that way as you broke down the game as you break it down you look at it what the bears likely have healthy and ready to go who's likely to be the healthiest or who's likely to turn this game and and flash well you know for the bears Monta Sweat has been a, a godsend. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. that you've got a real player there. You've got a difference maker, and, and that that is looking like a great trade. And and he's gotten better every week. And I and I'm looking for a really big game from him this week. You know, you look at this this team, this Falcons team, and, and they're they're very much in the playoff hunt. You know, they're they're a game away with two to play. They have a lot more to play for. We don't know. Uh, I guess we probably know, but between Ritter and Heineke, I don't think either one's really an answer at quarterback. Um, and, and their offense is, is not very good, you know, and, and, but their running game is. And so that's, that's going to be the most interesting part about this game tomorrow to me is the Bears with the number one run defense in the league against, like, what, what are the Falcons? Eighth, I think, running the ball. And I thought they'd be better. I, B. John Robinson was my favorite rookie this year. I thought I wanted the Bears to draft him. I, I, I thought he was going to be the, the, you know, the next closest thing. There's not going to be, ever be another Walter Payton, but I thought he was going to possibly move to that league of the great running backs. And he may still. It's not like he's had a bad year. But he hasn't had the breakout year I expected, and then Algier is pretty good too. So they run the ball, uh, you know, a lot like the Bears do. They can do it with multiple running backs, and, and if the Bears' run defense is, is for real against these guys and can take that away. Then I'd be very surprised if the Bears lose this game. And so um, I expect the defense to play very well. I expect the, the, the pass defense to be, you know, very good again because the, they just don't throw the ball all that well. But then you know you look at the other side of the ball and what's the Bears' offense going to do? You know, and and so now it's going to come back to Justin again. Is can they can they dominate with the run on the on the game? But can Justin make a few plays? Those few big plays, and can he make them in the fourth quarter if it's necessary? That's probably the biggest problem, you know, you know, where he's at right now is that, you know, you look at those three games lost in, in, in the fourth quarter and everybody, you know, is going to blame the coaches and that's the coach's job. That's I understand that. That's why people are mad at the coaches, but you look at the way that fields played in the fourth quarter in those three games. And that's, that's where the biggest problem was in losing those games or one of the biggest problems. I don't want to put it all on him. And so, you know, how he performs 
in that situation, if he gets in that situation, I mean, it could be that the game is over by the time you get into the fourth quarter. I'm not predicting that, but, you know, that's something you have to consider. Um, uh, but that's what I would love. I would love to see Justin have a big game in the fourth quarter, you know, put together a couple drives, you know, show people he's running the team and managing the team. And, and, and I think that would make a difference to a lot of people. It would make a difference to me, you know, and mm-hmm. he's still, he's, he's still 23 years old, you know, even though it's his third year, it's not like he's done. And, and he is a very smart young man. And so it, it is interesting. I, I just think that they're at the point now with that position with the supposedly being such a great quarterback draft and them being in the position of possibly getting anyone that they want, that, that, that that's why I have a, a hunch that they've already made up their mind. You know, there is this last option, Steve, that I keep talking about, and I guess I'm the only one. Just because they draft another quarterback doesn't mean they get rid of Justin. You know, you don't have to do that. And, and with the extra first-round pick, they've got a lot of ways to go here. So I think it could be a really you know, fun offseason for Bears fans because they're going to have so many options to do so many things, and they are an improving team now. But as far as tomorrow, they just got to get another win for everybody on the roster and everybody on the coaching staff. And I think winning big would be that much more impressive. So for whatever you know, the people you've talked to at Hallis Hall or Kevin Ward or Ryan Poles, in your lifetime, I don't know if you can remember the opportunity a Bears general manager had to start with a new coach, a new offensive coordinator, a new quarterback, reset everything. And especially if you have a defense you're starting to believe in, that that is one of the that's the second best friend a young quarterback could have. A running game is the first best friend. So having that opportunity, I can't remember the Bears being in this position around the NFL. Is this the most enticing thing you could imagine if you're a GM or not? You know, it's funny because one of the problems I'm having with the, with uh, analyzing all this is I, I don't really know Kevin Warren yet, and I'm hoping that this offseason I'll get a chance to, you know, visit with him a little bit and, and get a better feel for where that's at. I do know that if you look at his track record, he, he he's a great hire. I think he's going to build a new stadium. I think he's going to build a really good stadium. But he's not a football guy. I mean, he's a, he's a football guy in the football business, but I don't. I'm not real excited about the possibility of him starting to get involved in, you know, picking players and deciding this and that. Uh, he has to, you know, decide how comfortable he is with Ryan Poles, and, and I don't have any, I, you know, sense yet that he's not. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I would think in his, yeah, he, he's in a great spot right now. He can do whatever he wants, but I don't think it would be a good thing for the Bears to have a new GM, a new head coach, and a new quarterback, because then you're basically starting to rebuild over again. You know, then, then you can throw away next year, because even if they've got better talent, they're going to be a better team. They're still trying to build something new again. And and I think that they've come far enough, you know, this second half of the season that they've made a development that you're better off committing this year to seeing how much they can take what they've done so far as opposed to starting from scratch. Because if you start with another new GM, head coach, and quarterback, you are starting another new rebuild. I'm not, I'm not, you know what, I'm fine with Ryan Poles as it stands. Uh, the mistakes are <clears throat> obvious, but the hits, the Montez sweats, the the, the signing of Komet, keeping him around, I just think he's, that that has it Darnell right. I I like the way he's gone about business, the first round picks that there are. I don't want a new GM at this point. I do not I don't want 
Eberflus making any more decisions on assistant coaches. I've seen what he does with assistant coaches, and I don't trust his hiring. So I'm looking, if you're Ryan Poles, you are a football guy, and you have a chance to start over. That's where I really wanted the question to start. Is Ryan Poles all down, and suddenly you get a reset, and you get everything new? Can you, in your history of writing about football, being a fan of football, do you remember the Bears ever having this opportunity? And... And how enticing is it if you're Ryan Poles? Uh, I really, I don't remember uh, an opportunity like this with the Bears because, you know, let's be honest, they've had some legendary GMs and they've lasted forever. And, you know, there's there's only been a few of them. And, uh, you know, I, I, I would assume they've been pretty comfortable with the hires they've made until they weren't. And so, <laughs> no, I, 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 you know, I do think this is a very different situation. I think you make the best point there, Steve, is that what really matters is is where are Ryan Pauls and Matt Eberflus and and everything that I have seen every week at Hell, so they seem to be very much in lockstep and, and on the same page. Now there were some comments this week that I know people jumped on and said, "Gee, maybe Pauls is starting to wonder." I don't know if that's the case or not, but the appearance has been that Ryan Poles is committed to Matt Eberflus. At least that's been the appearance to me. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's why I'm kind of at the point right now where I do think Matt's going to get at least one more year. I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything I've heard that's different than that. I, I with you on that, that's kind of been the feeling, but I don't know how enticing it might be to get a full reset. That's why I asked, but if it weren't, and you know, given your proximity, your, your go blue, you're the, and and Jim Harbaugh and he's not signing a contract reportedly because there Michigan wants a clause in there that says you can't talk to the NFL no looking no nothing no flirting no nothing for one year and the fact that somebody reported that which might or might not be true but if it's out there and he seems like a guy who if you're starting over with a quarterback he knows quarterbacking. His history as a coach tells you that. I don't know if there's any news you have, any insight that you have on that, but I'm going to ask anyways about Harbaugh in Michigan. Well, the last time I talked to Jim was just before all the, the suspensions started, not the first suspension, the second suspension, about six, seven weeks ago. Um, and, and Jim is a great football coach, and he is a good quarterback coach. Um, but he does, you know, he's got an interesting personality, and, and he, he he cannot be forgiven for all that's happened. You know, he was the head coach, so even though I think he's been treated somewhat unfairly since they continue to say they have no evidence that he knew about it, <laughs> and I, and, you know, I doubt that that's true. But but, but I think it's true that they have no evidence. But um, you know, he had to have some idea of what's been going on with all this. Uh, but. He's an excellent football coach. He's going to be badly wanted in the NFL. And he apparently has said a couple times that, that Chicago would interest him. I know that the Chargers would interest him, too, because that's another roster. That roster, maybe even a little more than the Bears, is ready to go. And going back to California, and I've heard reports mm-hmm. that his wife wouldn't mind going back to California. Um, so I, I think that you know Jim will consider everything. When, when somebody makes an offer, he wants to hear you know what that offer is. And, and he could be great with the Bears, but he, he doesn't always work well with people, you know, and, and I don't know how <laughs> Ryan Poles would feel about that. So it, it would be very interesting, you know, and, and I think Bears fans, you know, who who were pleased when he left would be really excited if he came back. Um, uh, and it certainly would be a good hire. I mean, you know, you look at his brother, who may be the best coach in the NFL, and you look at what he did going to a Super Bowl his second year as the head coach of the 49ers, it would be a great hire. 
and, and I'd love it because I have pretty good access. To it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But um, I, I don't think anybody knows what's happening with Michigan at this point. I, I'm still stunned and I'm not making any predictions. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but the fact that they're the number one team in the nation and everybody I've heard is picking Alabama to beat them tomorrow. You just don't know at this point. Um, but, but it is, it's, it's, it's a fun thing to think about and it's a fun conversation but the one thing I'm kind of locked in, and I, I really do think that Flus is going to be back for another year. You know, it's just that's that's what I've seen happening the last couple of weeks. And I think with what they've done, that that may be the best thing for where they're at right now to give it one more year and see what he can do with it. All right. Um, you're entitled to be wrong, Hub. That's all I have yep. to say. No, I'm just God knows I've done it often enough. So. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Hub, have a happy new year. Be well. Thank you for your time. Hi, Steve. Right. Take care. Abarkish, he was on the guest hotline presented by Circus Sports Illinois. And that's where that goes. Always good to get Jim Harbaugh inside. For, and boy, Jim Harbaugh, yep, he has trouble working and playing well with others, but he sure gets stuff done if you're a quarterback-centric team, and the Bears need to be that. I'm going to take a break when I come back. Jalen Johnson said something. And so I'll repeat it, and then I will comment on it. Because I've decided this year for Christmas all year, you're going to get my opinions. That's what I'm giving. I'm giving out my opinions. And then later in the hour, Chuck Swirsky will be here with Talks and Bulls. And he was a good friend of the late Joey Meyer. Joey Meyer is somebody you should know about. Joey Meyer was a really good coach and an even better human being. I'm Steve Rosenblum, Saturday Suckage, Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink think what you'll wear on that third date download the instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last minimum ten dollar per order additional term supply we get it attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on netflix but what do people do with their ears well for one they're listening to audio americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day oh and you want the proof well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It's Saturday Suckage on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. And I am Steve Rosenloom, but you fellow suckageers already knew that. Thank you for joining me. We're halfway through this last Saturday suckage of 2023. As long as nobody important is listening, I'll be back for 2024. And uh, about 10 minutes, you're going to talk with Chuck Swirsky. Bulls are playing tonight, Bulls Sixers, and great opportunity to beat the Sixers. And more importantly, going to talk about Joey Meyer. You may not know. If you've only followed sports in only the last 30 years in Chicago, it won't mean anything to you. But 30 years before that, my name was all over Chicago sports, Chicago basketball. I mean, here's how accomplished the Meyer name was. It made college basketball a thing in Chicago. Good luck trying to figure out whenever that's happened since. So Chuck was a good friend. 
of Joey Meyer went to Paul Basketball. We're going to talk to Chuck about that. He's got some things to say about his late good friend Joey Meyer died yesterday at age 74. Let me tell you about this, about the score and what we're offering, along with Remy Martin. Remy Martin and 670, the score, want to give you a chance to play hoops on the United Center Court of Dreams. Look for the Remy display at your local retailer and scan the code to enter. Details at 670thescore.com slash contests. Remy Martin, team up for excellence. So Jalen Johnson, Bears cornerback, had something to say. He's a member in good standing of the Parkinson Spiegel show, 2 to 6, Monday through Friday. So he was asked in an open locker room setting. This wasn't on the show. This is an open locker room setting. He was asked if it was difficult. He was asked about all of the constant change, with the constant talk of change, I should say, with the Bears. Is it difficult to tune out the questions, the unknown, the conversations? I mean, we ask about it all the time. I don't think so. I mean, I, honestly, if you've been in the organization long enough, you've, you're used to it by now. So, I mean, just honestly, just keep your head down, continue to work, and continue to just try to get better week by week. Okay. The key part of that, I don't think so. If you've been in the organization long enough, you're used to it by now. So... <clears throat> You hear that and you think, wow, that sounds like an argument to keep Eberflus and his staff and all the coaches and the quarterback and no more change, blah, blah, blah. Nope. For me, it's an argument to start over and start clean and start smarter. Not a GM and coaching staff who get stuck with a quarterback and go nowhere and we're bringing a new one, but they've already shown their weaknesses. And I don't see how it's read as anything except an idea that you can change everything. You get a clean slate, as I was talking about with Hub, something we've never seen the Bears seize you get a clean slate. You get a new coach, new offensive coordinator, new quarterback. That's it. We're going to do this all right, all at the same time, not have something left over. I mean, this is an organization that does things so ridiculously that Lovey Smith was around to help interview his success, his his boss, who would turn out to be Phil Emery, and then would turn into Mark Tressman. Yuck, yuck, yuck. How, how does that work out for everybody? And in the course of things, people want to laud the Bears for not sucking as bad as their 0-4 start was. The interim coach for this team had months to prepare for the arch-rival and evil and dreaded Green Bay Packers and a new quarterback, not Aaron Rodgers. And this Bears coach soiled the bed. Six months to prepare, and he soiled the bed. Matt Overchoke. Failed miserably. Same for the players and the coaches. If you can't be ready to play the opener against that team, that rival, you failed all over the place. What excuse do you have? You don't get a do-over. You get a hearty hand clasp and a goodbye. As many people needing to go as need to go. See, lauding this team for not sucking as badly as their winless start and crediting the coach 
for directing this is a joke. It's the coach's fault. First of all, it's his job to have his team ready, and he didn't. And many of the reasons people are talking about distractions, you heard Dion Miller's question there, they're self-inflicted wounds. Eberflus can't hire assistant coaches. Two of them are gone, and one who's still here you don't want as your offensive coordinator. And now you're going to keep him around and let him hire more people? That's insanity. And if you want to talk about wins, wow, look, they win. They went 0-4, but now look at all the wins. Hey, if only, and then you sound like Wani. If only, wow, if you throw out all the things we lost, then we'd be undefeated. Here's the deal. You want to talk about wins, that's fine. It's a last-place schedule. One win, by my count, has come against a team that's better than 500. Really? Really? Okay. Take a break. We'll talk to somebody who is a play-by-play voice of the Bulls and a good friend of Joey Meyer, which means he lost a good friend yesterday. We'll talk to Chuck, Chuck Swirsky next. Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. And they go to Kobe, negotiates his way to the rim. The dish to Drummond, puts it on the deck in front. DeRozan, three ball, no. Rebound Caruso's. Reset on the clock. They go to Kobe. Kobe knocking inside with a right-handed layup up and good. It's Saturday suckage on 670 the score in Odyssey Station. Rebounds, ball movement. I think the Bulls will have a better chance of doing it, doing it better tonight against the Sixers without Joel Embiid. That's the game. That's the setting for tonight's game. Bulls, Sixers, Chuck's pregame show is at 645, tip off at 7. And joining me on the guest hotline presented by Circus Sports is the voice of the Bulls. He is Chuck Swirsky. Chuck, how are you today? Stephen, good to hear your voice. Thank you. You too, sir. I appreciate you coming on. And I, I, well, I certainly like the Bulls' chances without Embiid in the lineup and with, with Drummond facing his former team. And he's got, I... By last count, I think the tote board said seven thousand rebounds in the last five minutes. So I think they're they're good on he's been a he's been a thing and he I think he needs to be a thing tonight. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, without Embiid and the Bulls, as you know, played a couple of weeks ago in Philadelphia and Embiid had another monster game. I mean, he's having such a, a fabulous season, Steve, as you know. I mean, he is really destined for greatness post-basketball-wise. Uh, He's going to end up in the Hall of Fame the way his, his numbers are just adding up and adding up over the last few years. But having said that, you're right. Drummond in the post tonight. Paul Reed, the former DePaul star, is 6'9". Drummond takes up a lot of paint room. And um, I, I'm looking for the Bulls to feed him the rock tonight. I think Drummond's going to have a double-double. There you go. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Chuck stepping out, and he'll be if it, if that happens, he'll be stepping and high stepping, and he'll be dancing. Yeah. You know, maybe I'll ask Drummond to join me if he gets a double double. I doubt that's going to happen, but hey, whatever. Okay. Oh, all right. Yeah. He might have other things to do post game. Chuck Swirsky yeah, is I my. Yeah, I think so. Chuck Swirsky is my dad, my guest. Uh, we are talking Bulls on the sports, but uh, Bulls on the score. And you'll hear him tonight, six forty five. Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. And and 
more importantly, um, Joey Meyer passed away yesterday at 74. You you lost a good and longtime friend. I I think to to inform people here, like if you were just a Chicago sports fan for the last 30 years, you might not really know who he is or what he is. But the, for the 30 years before that, Joey Meyer, the Meyer name, DePaul basketball was a thing that you'd have to you have to convince people and have to show them the history that Chicago was a college basketball town at one time, which it doesn't feel like and hasn't been for a while. So let's start 1979 when you met Joey, first time you came across him. Okay, well, uh, 1979, you're right, Steve. I, I uh, appeared in Chicago for the first time doing a nightly sports talk show. And I had a brief connection with a DePaul assistant by the name of Jim Molinary because while I was in Seattle, I developed a really strong relationship with Jack Sigma, who played at Illinois Wesleyan, was the number one pick by the Sonics, you know, led Seattle to a championship in his second season as a pro. He played collegiately with Jim Molinary at Illinois Wesleyan, Mole. Um, played ball in Glen Ellen in high school, went to Kansas State, was actually a backcourt teammate of Lon Kruger, who, former Illini coach, former NBA coach, so on and so forth, and then he transferred to Illinois Wesleyan. So when I got the job here in Chicago, Steve, Jack Sigma reached out and said, listen, you know, you got you to gotta connect with Jim Molinari, good friend. He's an assistant at DePaul under Ray Meyer. So I didn't know a soul here. Honest to God, Steve, I didn't know one person in Chicago. So I reached out to Jim Molinari. Jim said, why don't you come over to our uh, office, very small office at Alumni Hall on (laughs) Belden. And uh, he introduced me to the staff. And, of course, that included Joey Meyer. And from that moment on, I can honestly tell you, probably some of it is because professionally I was locked into my show some of it personal because we were kind of the same age in our, you know, mid-20s, late-20s, early-30s in that range, and we became inseparable. I mean, it was unbelievable. I, w- I would probably show up uh, in his office four days of the week, and I would watch film with him. I saw recruits come in. They would bring recruits by WGN Radio, and I would show them GN TV and GN Radio because GN TV – was the greatest recruiter DePaul had mm-hmm. and Coach Ray. But Joey got after it. Mole got after it recruiting-wise. But all these kids from the East Coast and the West Coast would have WGN as a superstation. And a lot of schools were very jealous and envious of the DePaul program because they were on the superstation like WTBS in Atlanta with the Braves. And so uh, Joey really you know, took advantage of that understandably so, and got these kids from the East Coast and got these kids from the West Coast to come to Chicago. And there you have it. And so my relationship started to build. Obviously, I did their play-by-play. I did the coaches show with Joey, and he was a wonderful man. He really is and was now. I I can't still believe I'm saying this past tense because, um, you know, it seems like yesterday I was on the phone with him a few months ago and he had gone through so much physically with his body. And, um, you know, hopefully now that he's resting in peace. Chuck, 
when you heard, where were you and what did you th- what what emotions did you feel? What what most resounded? Well, I heard last night and um, you know, I kind of was preparing for this because uh, I was receiving information uh, regarding his health. And, uh, you know, everyone connected with the DePaul program when Joey either played there, was an assistant, or as the head coach, um, respected him so much in his family with Barbara and his son, Brian. And, I mean, the, to see the different phases of his world as an assistant under his dad. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, Steve, and, and probably I'm, I'm giving some information that I'm not sure is really public, but I'll tell you now that in 1980, Oklahoma was in the market for a new head coach, and they wanted Joey Meyer badly because Joey's reputation as a coach, as a recruiter, and Oklahoma really wanted him. And they were talking to John Thompson at Georgetown. They were talking to Joey, an assistant to Paul and Billy Tubbs. And Joey really wanted to succeed his father. But he also wanted to give his father space because, I mean, his dad loved coaching, obviously. And so DePaul and Coach Ray made an arrangement that when Coach Ray was going to step down, whenever that was going to be, three years, five years, seven years, whatever, that Joey would succeed him. And that's why he stayed. That was a cheap reason, obviously, why he stayed. But he could have had the Oklahoma job, period. Chuck Swirsky is my guest. He's the play-by-play voice of the Bulls. You hear him here on the score, but previously he had been the play-by-play voice of a lot of other teams, mostly DePaul, or mainly DePaul, for this conversation. And DePaul basketball was a thing. Joey Meyer took over for his dad. He went to the 13 years. He went to seven tournaments, twice to the Sweet 16. But here's the thing about him, that the, the fallout, the response – to people hearing he passed away as good a basketball coach as he was. And once he was national coach of the year, so as great as he could be, he was even better as a human being, as a person. I know you've got experiences with that. Will you share them with the, with our audience? Absolutely. Well, for the B reporters who covered DePaul at the time, and I know Steve, you probably were around that program as well, but uh, Tony Gennetti of the Sun-Times was around DePaul 24-7, a brilliant reporter. Obviously, you know, her record speaks for itself. She's in the Chicagoland Sports Hall of Fame, fabulous writer, wonderful person, and a pioneer, so to speak, in Chicago for women in sports communication. So she was covering DePaul, and Joey never, ever big-timed anybody. Bill Jouse of the Tribune, uh, Scott Breger covered for the Daily Herald. And so you had a small group of reporters, but Joey trusted all of them. He also understood they had a job to do. And so he would receive tough questions when they were going through losing streaks or when they just had a question about X's and O's. And he never took it personally. And in a sense, that's what this job is all about. I mean, you know, Steve, you're in this position to ask questions. And it, it, you know, it never becomes personal, and, uh, or you hope not. And Joey understood that. And so even through some very difficult challenges, I mean, DePaul had a number of them uh, under his run, but he, he took the heat, he answered the questions, because that was his makeup. And that's something I will always 
as an observer from you know day one watching him, I will take from this experience with him as far as his legacy was his kindness and his respect for others. And um, if you read now some of the tributes coming in from opposing coaches or players he recruited, magnificent. Yeah, that that was what really – that rang true. That resounded with me because that was the man I knew. And I didn't know him as well as a lot of people in this city, but a lot of the people in this city who I respect, who had dealings with him like you. Um, I know Brian Hanley was a, a, a cub reporter, a rookie reporter on – on DePaul for the Sun-Times, and Joey was, not, as you said, not big time in anybody, but he was never a guy who, in from what I heard, from what I could see, wasn't about to backstab anybody in whatever no. position. And NCAA college sports are a cesspool. Oh. I mean, it may not be the Olympics, but you can see it from there. And Joey was a guy who, whatever, whatever it was called for, like you said, he stood up and he was not about to to lower himself to whatever cesspool levels there were. He was he was that kind of human in in professional life, but also in his personal life. His, his family was sweet and tight. Absolutely. I mean, you know, his wife, Barbara, was everything. His son, Brian, tremendous. And uh, this is just a really hard day for those of us who knew Joey on a personal level, professional level, because, again, the way he came across as a coach and as a person, there was no dichotomy whatsoever, Steve. I mean, what you saw from Joey, Joey was really intense. Don't, don't think because, you know, Joey looked like, you know, a school teacher that he didn't get after it. He got after it. Trust me. I mean, I saw a ton of practices, and he got after it. Um, you know, but there was a separation where he wanted his own identity after replacing his dad. And I did the games with Coach Ray. And, you know, the first few years, it was tough on Coach Ray because, you know, he was still at times, even though he was a broadcaster or as an analyst, he was still coaching. And, um, but, you know, he wanted to give Joey his space and his time. And in time, that happened. And Joey became the head coach of DePaul, not, you know, Ray Meyer's son. And so, you know, again, the record speaks for itself that uh, it'll, he'll go down as, as a terrific Chicago icon in coaching. I think he's a really good example. You hit on it. Don't Joey Meyer is the, is the picture, the poster child for don't mistake kindness for weakness. He just, Correct. And, and I think that's a, if, as far as legacies goes, that's a nice part to have that i don't know if there's a snapshot in your mind before i let you go a snapshot a picture somebody says joey meyer whatever that picture is what share it with us what pops into your mind uh integrity character um passion for his players for his coaching staff for sports information people for trainers i mean mike mccormick was unbelievable. He was joined to the hip with Joey on so many, you know, DePaul uh, events as far as just games and prep time and everything. I mean, if you, again, it was a small circle back then, Steve. I mean, not like these college and pro camps now where we have so many coaches Mm -hmm. and so many everything. And Joey treated everyone 
like family. And so that is how I'm going to remember Joe. Excellent. Thank you for your time. I know this wasn't easy because you're talking about losing a good friend, but I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on, Chuck. Always, Stephen. Thank you. Care. Chuck Swirsky talking about Joey Meyer and also the play-by-play voice of the Bulls. The Bulls play at 7 o'clock tonight against Philadelphia. Chuck's pregame show is at 645. We'll take a break when we come back. WB Club, Wake and Bake Club members, join with me. I've discovered a way, I've figured out a way that we can save the city of Chicago, and it needs saving. The Wake and Bake Club meets on Saturday Suckage. After this, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.